As we've studied the Gospel of John, what we've done occasionally as we walk through this book, this powerful biography, this investigation of Jesus, as we walk through this book, we have occasionally returned to the beginning of this book because the beginning is not just the beginning describing the beginning of everything, but the beginning of the Gospel of John creates the bedrock. We're familiar with this term, the bedrock. The bedrock is the foundation upon which you build an edifice. A foundation is what you build a house or a building or a structure. And the beginning of the Gospel of John is the bedrock. And every single conversation, every single teaching, yes, every single miracle leading to the cross of Christ, leading to the glorious resurrection of the Son of God, is one more brick built upon another to reach the pinnacle, to reach the purpose of this book. So today we're not looking at the beginning of the book before we dive into John 4. We're going to look at the end of the book and remember that God has revealed his purpose for this gospel. It says here in John 20, now Jesus did many other signs. This is the end of the gospel of John. Many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The purpose of telling these historical stories is so that when we hear it, we would encounter Christ and believe. Now, in today's day and age, we've got to be careful about how we talk about belief because there's so many different options. In our pluralistic society, you could say, I believe, and then what the person says to the right of you about how he believes could be very, very different. So did you hear what the Gospel of John said? It's not just a matter of believing for belief's sake. It's not just a matter of believing in some kind of supernatural ethereal force or supreme higher power, which might have its purpose. No, the purpose of this gospel, the purpose of this Bible is so that we would believe. Believe Jesus is who he said he was. Believe the real Jesus, not the Jesus of culture, not the Jesus of my preferences and comforts, but come to believe in the Jesus that was and the Jesus that is, friends, right? So in today's day and age, I remember watching an episode of, yes, The Simpsons. It was a long time ago. And uh, oftentimes, art reflects culture. And I remember this episode, even as I was preparing for this message, where Homer Simpson is, is running from a rhinoceros. And he's hiding inside a port john from the rhinoceros. He thinks he's going to die. So he prays to God and he says, Jesus, Buddha, Allah, I love you all. Please save me. It reflects culture, does it not? He was in a crisis and he cried out to any and all gods that he believed might be able to help him in that moment. Friends, I want you to hear something. I'm going to give you two very politically incorrect statements today, okay? You've been warned. The first one is now. The first one is when we understand that belief for belief's sake, empty believism, 
super thin, superficial belief in anything and everything is not what the Bible teaches. When we understand that, we also understand a deeper truth, perhaps an offensive truth. Hell is populated with people that believe. What does that mean? Well, James takes it even further. James says that hell is not only populated with people that believe, hell is run by former fallen angels that believe as well. James says this in James 2.9, you believe that God is one, you do well. Meaning that, okay, you believe God exists, you believe he is one, okay, but that's not enough to save. He uses this analogy. He says, you believe that God is one, even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, what's the difference between the faith that saves in heaven and the faith that leaves us dead in our sin and leads to a life and an eternity separated from Christ in hell? It's believing in Jesus. Those demons do not believe in Jesus as Lord. They know Jesus exists. They know he is the Christ. They know he is the Son of God better than we do. They're filled with fear. Every single time they encounter him, they ask and beg for mercy. No, friends, I want you to hear this. Listen. They have not surrendered. They do not recognize his authority. They actively work to thwart and diminish his glory. So is it enough to believe? What the Bible says is there is a matter of belief, but what we're interested in, what we're proclaiming, what we're teaching in this passage is saving faith, belief that leads us to Jesus. And that's why as we hear a story through the lens of a father who's in crisis, a very influential man, a nobleman, a royal official, as he is in this crisis of faith, yes, he's going to see Jesus' mighty working power. But the greater miracle is the saving faith that he and his whole household experiences. Let's look at the text, shall we? Here at the beginning, we see a crisis of faith. Jesus encounters someone in Cana. Verse 46, this is the word of the Lord. So he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Let's stop right here. This is the crisis of faith. Okay, so what do we know about this person? He's an official. And what does that mean? Well, if you're reading along in our version, our translation of the Bible, the ESV, you see that the term official. If you were reading, for example, in a different translation and a different version of the Bible, you would see that this word for official means nobleman, as the King James or the New King James puts it. Or perhaps the NIV or the New American Standard Version says he is a royal official. The actual word for official isn't just like a police officer. No, this is someone of, uh, of immense power, of authority. He, as the definition says, belongs to the king. And what you're going to see as this story unfolds and as we walk through this journey of faith with this official, whereas he belongs to his king Herod by title, at the end of this passage, we're going to see him meet Jesus and belong to the king of kings, Christ, truly in his heart. You see, in this passage, we are reminded that Jesus traveled all throughout the Israel countryside. 
He began his ministry in Judea. Can we say Judea? He ended his ministry in Judea, and then in the middle of his ministry, he spent much time in Galilee, or as it's called in Old Testament anew, Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee HaGoyim. Both in the Old Testament and the New, Galilee was a place where, yes, of course, there was a strong Jewish presence and population, but also there was plenty of people from outside, Greeks and Phoenicians, Idumeans, people that were also living there as well. That's why they called it Galilee of the Gentiles. And just so we're clear, do we understand what that word Gentile means? There are those who are Jewish by national descent, sons of Abraham, and then there's Gentiles who are what? Everybody else. Everybody else. So this is the area that Jesus spends a lot of time not only teaching, but performing miracles. In fact, oftentimes Jesus would be frustrated that the people in this area would want miracles and he wouldn't see much life change. And that's the story of the Old Testament as well. Do you ever marvel at how people, for example, the people that were in slavery under tyranny in Egypt saw all these signs and wonders. Ten of them saw God miraculously save them, went out to the wilderness. God parted the Red Sea. He's providing bread, manna from heaven. He's providing all their needs. And then within a couple days, there's a big party with a golden cow. They all start worshiping this false god. You see what happens outside of us, even though we long for miracles, will not last unless there's a greater miracle that happens inside of us. And that's what we're going to see here. This man has a crisis of faith, but he's crying out to Jesus because he's a man that understands authority. He's a man that understands that when the person authority speaks, something happens. How many of us have been there? How many of us have had a loved one? where perhaps you are in a place of influence, perhaps you have a title, perhaps you're well thought of by your friends, by your family, your neighbors, but all of a sudden when your life gets turned upside down, what happens? All of your pretenses fall. All the people that are around you, you realize they're just people. I've been serving them, working for them, my whole self-identity is wrapped up in them. You see, this man isn't running to King Herod for help. He's not running to anyone else. He's running to Jesus. And when we have a crisis of faith similar to this official, this nobleman, we have two options. Either we run to Christ or we run away from Christ. There's a day I'll never forget when I was a junior in high school at a college outside of Philadelphia, a Bible college. And my mom calls me up and I could tell this was not good. I know my mom very well. Her voice was breaking. I could tell she's been crying. And she says, Chris, your brother, who's a year and a half younger than me, he has Hodgkin's disease, he has cancer, and he might not make it. Perhaps you've received phone calls like that. Perhaps you've been there yourself. Perhaps you had brothers or sisters or siblings that have or are battling cancer right now. I'll never forget that phone call. In fact, every single time my mom will call after that, I'd be nervous to answer the phone. At that moment, even as I was preparing for ministry, even at a Bible college, I had to say, God, this was not the plan. He's only 18 years old. This is not fair. This is not right. And what do I do? Do I run to Christ with all of my questions and struggles? Or do I think I am self-sufficient to carry this burden 
on my own and run from Christ. Every single time there's a crisis of faith, there's an opportunity that God can deepen your faith. And that's why it's very, very important for you to understand this. You ready? For those of you that know Christ, trust Christ, believe in Christ, I want you to hear this. Hear this. There has never been a moment, not a second of your life, where you have been unloved. There's not a moment, not a second of your life where you have been unfathered. We love hearing those first two, but this next one's really, really profound if we understand it. There has never been a problem or a trial in your life that God has wasted. In this broken world, there's a heaven, and this is not it. We get that, right? Basic, right? There's a heaven, this is not it. We try to make it heaven. We get frustrated, we get surprised when it's not. In this broken world where people get sick, people get hurt, people die, what we tend to forget is that we are made to live forever. As the book of Ecclesiastes says, God has put eternity into the hearts of men. But as we struggle in this broken world, what God promises is that he empathizes, he helps us to endure, and yes, he turns evil into good there has not been one suffering, trial, hardship that you have gone through that Christ wasn't at work in. This is the promise of Scripture. For example, Psalm 56, 8 says, listen to this, this is amazing. You have taken account of my wanderings. This is the psalmist. This is a prayer. This is a writer. This is a worshiper. You have taken account of my wanderings. You have put my tears in your bottle are they not in your book? Not only does God count the number of tears that we cry, but he collects them. He knows them. Our God empathizes. James 1 says he also helps us to endure. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Consider pure joy what? When you live a comfortable, easy lifestyle? No. It's not what it says. This is a complete paradigm shift. James says, consider joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Not only does God empathize, not only does God help us endure, but God turns evil into good. Romans 8.28 says this, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. That's good news. God doesn't waste your suffering, and nor should you. This man has a crisis of faith, and then we see confident faith in verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, who was at the point of death. Confidence. You ever think about the word confidence? Literally, the word means fide. The root of the word, the etymology of the word means faith. Fide means faith, confidence. You have complete faith in something. And we are all trusting in something or someone. How many of us just trusted that the brakes would work on the way to church today? We don't even think about it anymore. You have confidence that they're going to work. You see, what we see in this passage is that this man is coming to Jesus because he's heard about Jesus' authority, Jesus' power, Jesus' mercy to heal, to save. 
So that's why he's coming. Not only did he hear about it from other people, but this is the long-awaited, long-sought-after hope of Israel itself. That one day a light would shine upon not only Israel, but Galilee of the Gentiles and reveal God's joy and his glory. Listen to this. Written centuries and centuries and centuries before John 4, the prophet Isaiah said this of this area, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now we know the light to be who, church? Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest. Didn't Jesus just have a conversation with a Samaritan woman? A woman who has had five broken marriages and she comes to Jesus and believes and then she shares Jesus with her neighbors and they all believe and Jesus says, look at the harvest. Direct quote, direct application from Isaiah. Jesus has come. And he's not only the light for the Samaritans, he's not only the light for the Jews, he's the light for the Gentiles as well. So if you're walking in darkness, don't return back to the things that led you to darkness. That's human nature. The things that got us in trouble, we somehow think will save us. No, the light has shone, and this man is coming to Jesus. He has a request in Cana. This is the second request in Cana. You remember from John chapter 2 when Jesus' mother comes at the wedding and says, <clears throat> Son, <clears throat> we're out of wine. Can you do that thing that you do at home, you know, me and Joseph? <laughs> do that thing. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. Jesus performs a miracle at a mother's request, and now here in John 4, He's performing a miracle at a father's request. He has confidence, this official has confidence that Jesus is able to help him. I like how the reformer Martin Luther put this. Everyone listen. Faith is a living, daring confidence in what? God's grace. So sure and so certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. This official is staking the life of his son on it. Let's continue to read verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus is getting frustrated. The official said to him, I'm in verse 49, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. We see that this man has gone from a crisis of faith to confident faith, and now his faith has been confirmed. His son has been healed. It's a miracle. God still performs miracles. How many of us believe that? I hope so. But friends, here's the, here's the real truth. This man had a confident faith, but even his faith needed to grow. You see, he expected Jesus to come down and pray for his son. Jesus didn't even need to do that. He expected the healing to be gradual. It was instant. How many of us know that we really struggle in life when our trials are this big and our Jesus is about that big? 
Jesus is making himself, he's revealing his bigness to this official. He's revealing his size and his glory. He doesn't need to go visit the son. He just speaks the word and it happens. Long distance and instantly. I like how Elton Trueblood put it. He said, faith is, be- is not, faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservation. This man heard Jesus say, your son will live. I would have been like, um, sir, with all due respect, I really need you to come down because I'm pretty sure you just speaking it doesn't do anything. This man, I guarantee you, had more faith than I would have in that moment. He hears Jesus say, your son will live. And then he goes back. Trust without reservation. And he encounters the bigness of Christ. I like how Corey Ten Boom said it. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Amen? Amen. When we come to Christ, it's the fulfillment of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When I received that phone call from my mom, it was a scary day. It was a dark day, and yes, my brothers had a long, arduous road, relapsed probably five times over the last 20 years. But just recently, we celebrated his 40th birthday. He's married, he's got two kids, and he's doing wonderful. His longest stretch of remission in his whole life. I share that to just say, yes, continue, endure, and believe that healing is possible. But in the end, what matters most is not to see God's miracles. Think of it this way, friends. Jesus was frustrated with this official and his neighbors. Why? Because he says this. This is really important. Unless you see miracles, you won't believe. Why do you think he's frustrated at that? Well, first off, because he is a miracle, right? It's the Son of God and God the Son walking amongst us. But because also this is what I believe, ready? We all want to see miracles. We believe miracles happen. But if we only believe when miracles happen, then our faith is very, very thin. Unless I see something supernatural, I refuse to believe. God grants us grace and gives us that mercy sometimes. But friends, what happens if he doesn't? There's an even greater blessing. There's even greater blessing when we trust Jesus even when he doesn't heal. Even when the timing of the miracle is not according to our timetable, our agenda, or our thoughts, or our desires. Here's the politically correct, incorrect statement number two. You ready? I believe in miracles. I believe Jesus is capable of the same power 2,000 years ago that he is today. Friends, not everyone gets healed in this life. It doesn't happen. I could preach it. We could probably attract a big crowd saying it. But it's not true in Scripture. It's not true in real life. So, if Jesus doesn't perform every single miracle that I ask of him, but perhaps he wants something deeper, he wants my heart, my trust, my whole life, is he still worth it? Of course he is. Because here's the truth. We could see a miracle and walk away from Christ. Here's the truth. This official and his son would one day get sick again, would one day pass into glory. No, the miracle that lasts forever is the miracle of salvation. And sure enough, that's what happens here. This man moves from a confirmed faith to contagious faith in, 30, in 53 and 54. 
The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed. And not only that, it was a contagious belief. And his household believed as well. Verse 54. Now this was the second sign that Jesus did when he come from Judea to Galilee. Friends, when we know Christ, and we know not only his peace and his forgiveness, when we know the power to lift us from the pit that we're in, and we know the hope that we have in heaven, if you're at that crossroads, that crisis of faith, pray for healing. But most of all, pray that you would believe and trust in Jesus. Because when you trust and you believe, even if you don't see the miracle that you want, the time and the place that you want it, Jesus is there. Jesus is loving you, weeping beside you, and will help you endure. Friends, we all do get healed, by the way. Christians, believers, we all will be healed. It's just a matter of this life or the next. The question we have to ask ourselves today, what are we believing in? What are we trusting in? And is the Jesus of culture, the Jesus of comfort, better than the Jesus of Scripture? I would submit to you, no way. Jesus is worth it. The Valley of Vision puts it like this, and we'll close with this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the anointed King, He was cast off that I might be brought in. Jesus was trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Jesus was surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. Jesus was stripped that I might be clothed. Jesus was wounded that I would be healed. Jesus was thirsty that I might drink. Jesus was tormented that I might be comforted. Jesus was humiliated that I might inherit glory. Jesus entered darkness that I might have eternal light. Jesus experienced reproach and shame that I might receive welcome. Jesus died that I might live, hallelujah, forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you for your word. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would reveal the Christ that is. Not the Christ that we might want, not the Christ that culture teaches us, but the Christ that not only was, the Christ that is. And in knowing him, believing in him, trusting in him, not just as an empty belief, but to know him as our Christ, as our King, to worship him as the Son of God. God, that's where transformation really begins. Spiritual, heart, mind, relational, emotional transformation begins. That is the spark that lights the inferno to see a soul come alive in the grace of God. So God, would you do it today? Would you give us the grace to believe even now? And will we turn from ourself, our sin, and return back to you, Christ Jesus, our King? Friends, if this is you this morning, if you know that perhaps there's something in your life that you're holding on to, a crisis of faith that's pulling you away from a God who loves you, would you come back to him? Would you return to him? Would you believe and trust in him? And would you invite him? Would you recognize him?
as your Savior and Lord. Church, let's rise to our feet together. Let's stand, not only to prepare ourselves to sing, but let's rise to our feet if we are ready, if we are ready to believe. If you could sense the Lord working in your heart this morning, I invite you to say this prayer with me, but to God. These words do not save. It's Jesus Christ that saves. Let it be the desire of your heart even now. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, please forgive me of my sin. Help me to put my trust in you. And help me to follow you all the days of my life. I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, my King. Amen. Well, right after we sing this wonderful last song, I invite anyone and everyone to come forward. If you want to know more about Christ, perhaps you're trying to understand this and it's still a little confusing, please talk to someone. Perhaps you prayed a special prayer and you could sense something's happening. You have to tell someone. And please, if you do not have your own Bible, take that Bible home. That's our gift. Open this book today and continue to follow Jesus and be filled with his love. Amen? Now, with, uh, in light of God's word, it's good and right to give glory to God and sing words that are true of God. So church, with one voice, let us worship our King, let us worship our Savior, Jesus Christ.
friends and family, may you go forth today and every day with the knowledge that our Christ is alive. He heals. He loves. He welcomes in the seekers, the skeptics, the sinners, and the outcasts. And he welcomes you as well to know his love and to believe in his name every day of your life.